Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. How many of you have ever seen the movie The Lion King? The Lion King, one of my favorite movies. Did you see it? Did you like that movie? Good. Good. In the movie The Lion King, as Scar pounces on this small field mouse, he quips these words, Life is not fair, is it? my little friend. While some are born to feast, others spend their lives in the dark, begging for scraps. The way I see it, you and I are exactly the same. We both want to find a way out. Life is not fair. When you think about it, life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. But whoever said that it was, where has it ever been written that life is fair? Sin and rebellion against God has taken his perfect world, his perfect universe, and ruined it. Everything is out of sync with God's original plan. Everything. Even your life, even my life. In my family, I have three brothers and one sister. My second oldest brother, Roger, but he always wanted us to call him Bill, And that's one of the strange things about my family. We never call each other by our given names. (laughs) Bill was born with Down syndrome. Doctors said he would never advance mentally beyond the age of five. He would never be productive, and he would die before the age of 20. You remember last week I told you about a friend uh, that was at college when I was in college. His name was Jerry. He was one of my classmates in college. He was born with no arms and no legs. He had to be assisted in practically everything that he did in life. There are other examples of people who have been disadvantaged in life. We look at these people or we hear about their stories and we say to ourselves, life just isn't fair. It's just not fair. Turn with me, if you will, in John's Gospel, chapter 9. John's Gospel, chapter 9. The Gospel of John, the entire chapter, is the story of a blind man. The story of a blind man. His blindness did not result from an accident, 
from some physical abuse, from poor hygiene, or some disease common to people in that day and time. This man was born blind. He was blind from birth. And he spent his entire life in the temple courtyard begging. Begging for food. Begging for help. His parents didn't support him. Otherwise, they would have kept him home and taken care of him. But there he was out by himself in the temple courtyard begging. So his parents didn't support him. Most people pitied him. And the elders of Israel despised him. They looked upon him with condemning eyes and with a condemning heart. You see, the prevailing theology of the day stated that anyone who suffered physically, mentally, or morally, anyone who had any kind of affliction was cursed by God. They had committed some kind of sin against God and this was God's punishment for that sin. And this goes all the way back to the book of Job, which was one of the first books written in the Bible. If you're suffering, it's because God is punishing you. Look at verse 2. Note the words of the disciples in John chapter 9 and verse 2. As his disciples asked him, asked Jesus, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? A lot of people have that same attitude and that same warped theology today. Even in the church, there are people who have that same negative attitude about God. Many times, I've heard people say that their problems, their sufferings, their misfortune is nothing less than God getting back at them for some sin that they had committed against him. We fail to remember that we live in a fallen world. We live in a corrupted world brought on by Adam and Eve when they rebelled against God, disobeyed the Lord in the Garden of Eden. But we also need to remember sometimes we bring sorrow and suffering into our life because of personal sin, and yet not all suffering is the result of personal sin. Sometimes we're guilty of shooting ourselves in the foot. But sometimes we're not even holding the gun. Not all suffering comes as a result of personal sin or rebellion or disobedience against God. Who sinned, they asked, this man or his parents that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, 
It was neither this man's sin nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Sometimes, friends, suffering that we experience in life is God-ordained. Doesn't mean that God is responsible for it, doesn't mean God caused it, but God allows it. God permits it. And so after this very brief exchange between Jesus and his disciples, Jesus stooped down and spit on the ground and took the dirt that he had spat upon and mixed it in his hands and made clay out of it. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the clay, told the man to go and to wash his face wash his eyes in the pool of Salaam. The man did what Jesus told him to do, and immediately his eyes were opened, and he could see. I want to draw four lessons from this man's story, I believe, that are important for us to learn today. There are a, there are a plethora of lessons in John chapter 9, and we could spend quite a bit of time uh, in this chapter, but four lessons, I believe, will suffice us for the moment. The first lesson is this, Jesus can and does heal the blind. Jesus can and does heal the blind. The second lesson is Jesus' work raises questions, often raises questions and controversy. The third lesson is Jesus never leaves or forsakes his own. Jesus never leaves or forsakes his own. And the fourth lesson I want to draw to our attention this morning is that faith in Jesus must always be in the maturing process. Faith in Jesus must always be in the process of maturing in a person's Life. I want us to look at lesson one. Jesus can and does heal the blind. Jesus healed a lot of people in his three-year public ministry. Gary Burge said, quote, In some respects, this sort of miracle was the hallmark of his ministry. Jesus healed the demoniac of his demons. Jesus healed the lame. Jesus even raised the dead. But quite a number of times, the ministry of Jesus was focused in on healing the blind. And I believe there is a, a, a great understory to that ministry of Jesus. And I'll get to that in just a moment. Some people were blinded by circumstance. But this man was born blind from birth. And in response to the disciples' question, who sinned this man or his parents, that he would be born blind, Jesus answered in verse 3, neither this man's sin nor his parents, but so that the work of God might be displayed in him. Sometimes circumstances do result in disabilities 
or in impairments. Sometimes they do. Sometimes parents pass the effects of their sin on to their children and to their grandchildren, either because of carelessness or because of abuse or because of unconcern. Sometimes Satan brings trials and tribulations and afflictions into our lives, but sometimes things happen to us and no one is directly, intentionally, or actively at fault. It's just life. It's just life. Sometimes it can... It can be avoided, sometimes it cannot. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into our world so that he might heal us in order to bring glory to God. Jesus, in this story, does heal the physical blindness of this man. He told him, he did a certain, he did a couple of things and he told him to go and do, uh, uh, to wash his face uh, at the pool of Siloam and his sight was given to him. But the bigger miracle in this story and in every story in the life that Jesus touches is the healing of the man's spiritual blindness. Jesus did touch his eyes. But Jesus also touched his spirit. I know people who've been healed physically by faith in Jesus Christ. I also know people who were healed spiritually even though they were not healed physically. Look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 7. This is the story of Paul's vision of, an, of the heavenly throne room of God. The Apostle Paul's vision of the heavenly throne room of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And after he describes the things that he saw in verse 7, he says, And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to buffet me. The word buffet means to beat, to beat me down, to torment me, to torture me. There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might be, that it might depart from me. And he had said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses than the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul was afflicted by a messenger from Satan that hindered him. And he spoke to the Lord God about it three different times. And God 
did not remove this hindrance from Paul. Now, we don't know what the hindrance was. Some speculate that it, uh, it was poor eyesight. Some uh, speculate that it was the development of poor health. Others speculate that it was a demon that continually harassed him. We don't really know what the hindrance was, but the Apostle Paul spoke to the Lord about it three times, and the Lord said, no, I'm not going to take it away from you. However... My grace is going to be all that you need to carry on your work, to carry on your ministry. Paul was not healed from the affliction, but his eyes were opened up to a new dimension of God's grace and God's purpose in his life. John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes, Jesus says, only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. God sent Jesus into our world that he might make us whole and complete, that he might give us life, that he might give us life abundantly. That's the greater healing that Jesus performs in every life that he touches. Some people are healed of physical infirmities. Some people are not. But every life that Jesus touches, he opens their eyes to the reality of who he is and what he can do in that person's life. Jesus can and will heal the blind, both physically and spiritually. Lesson number two, Jesus' work raises questions and controversy. And I know you know that's true because I know many of you talk to people about Jesus and not everyone is so warm and fuzzy with you when you talk to them about Jesus. I've had doors slammed in my face. I've had people cuss me out. They didn't want to hear about Jesus. I've had people who just uh, turned and walked away and said nothing and did nothing. There are times when people will be open and receptive to the gospel, but there are a lot of people who are not open and receptive to the gospel. Whenever the name of Jesus is spoken, there's always going to be a response. Sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's negative. But Jesus' work raises questions and controversy. Often he raises controversy. But we should never look at this as being a negative thing. We should always see the questions and the controversies as an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. Well, they don't want to hear about Jesus. We'll tell them anyway. Well, they're going to get mad at me. We'll tell them anyway. It gives us an opportunity to talk to people about the greatest need in their life. Whether they're willing to see it or not, whether they're willing to accept it or not, we still must tell them about Jesus. Four times, when you read through this story, four times this blind man, now healed, was questioned about his experience. His neighbors questioned him and tried to discredit him and what happened to him. And what was his response? He told them about Jesus. 
The elders, the Pharisees, called him in, or he was brought to them, and they questioned him about his experience. They tried to intimidate him. They tried to wrangle, uh, uh, they tried to twist his testimony. They tried to discredit him. And what did he do? How did he respond? He told them about Jesus. And then he gave them the gospel. Look at verses 31 32 and 33. John chapter 9, verses 31 through 33. We know, he says, well, I like, let's go back up to uh, verse 28. I, I, I love this poor, ignorant man and his response to these highbrow, intellectual, Doctors of the law. They reviled him. Verse 28. They reviled him and said, you're his disciple. You're Jesus' disciple. But we're the disciples of Moses. This haughty attitude of theirs. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, speaking of Jesus, we don't know where he's from. The man answered and said to them, well, here's an amazing thing. There's sarcasm in this, in case you didn't pick up on that. Well, here is an amazing thing that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. That was a stab. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. In other words, he is telling these Pharisees, you don't know where this guy is from, but I'll tell you where he's from. According to your theology, no one can heal except the power of God rests upon him. And he has healed me, so guess where he's from? This whole thing is just saturated with sarcasm. Since the beginning of time, now he's giving him a history lesson. Since the beginning of time, it was never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were born entirely in sins, and are you teaching us? And they put him out. <laughs> he told them about Jesus. In other words, you know only God can heal the sick. You know that God doesn't hear sinners when they pray. Jesus must be God's Messiah because God hears him. And God heals people through him. He told them about Jesus. The world, listen, you know this, I know this, the world hates Jesus. Our own country despises Jesus. Many churches reject Jesus. And countless so-called Christians ignore Jesus. But whenever there is an opportunity, the true Christian will take that opportunity to talk to people about Jesus. Why? Because true Christians love Jesus. And they love to talk to people about Jesus. He always raises questions and controversy when he's introduced into the conversation or into the relationship. But we must take the opportunity to talk to people about him. 
Because that's the greatest need in any person's life. Lesson three. Jesus never leaves or forsakes his own. Jesus never leaves nor does he forsake his own. The blind man's parents gave him little support, if any. But Jesus touched him and healed his eyes. The elders of Israel couldn't handle the truth, and so they kicked the man out of church. But Jesus found him and ministered to him. Jesus never leaves or forsakes his own. And this is a, is it not, this is a wonderful testimony of the love and the grace and the mercy of God toward us. This man didn't go looking for Jesus. He didn't know where Jesus was. He didn't even know who Jesus was at that point in time. But it's Jesus who went looking for that man. After all was said and done, and the elders were done with him, and his parents were done with him, Jesus went looking for that man. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, the Lord tells us, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. In Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, the Apostle Paul says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus never abandons, he never leaves his own. Adam and Eve disobeyed God, but it was God who came looking for them in the garden. Jacob was a deceiver, one who seeks to trip others up, but it was God who met with him at the river Jabbok. Moses thought he could hide from the Lord when he killed the taskmaster and left his people suffering in Egypt. But it was the Lord who met him on Mount Sinai and commissioned him to go down into Egypt and secure the release of the Hebrew people. Jesus never leaves or forsakes his own. We may turn away from him in sin, but he never leaves us in sin. We may leave his house and return to the world like the prodigal son. But he sends his spirit to call upon us, to wake us up, and to move in our spirit to come back home to him. Jesus seeks out his own. And the fourth lesson, faith in Jesus must always be in the process of maturing. Faith in Jesus must always be in the process. Genuine faith must always be in the process of maturing. I think it's a tragic thing when a person who's been a Christian for years can only speak of his or her salvation experience. That's the only testimony they have. It's as if the Lord hasn't done anything in their life since the day they were saved. It's as if their faith in the Lord hasn't gone anywhere. 
It hasn't developed. It hasn't matured. There's nothing that they can speak about the Lord in their life other than the fact that they were saved at a certain point in time. But I want you to note the progress of this man's faith in Jesus. As the story unfolds, the man mentions Jesus by name only, verse 11, because that's all he knew about him. This man, Jesus, the man who is called Jesus, was the one who did this. That's all he knew. It was just his name. But then the man later on declares that Jesus was a servant of God. In verse 17, when the Pharisees asked him, Who is this man to you? He said, Well, he's a prophet. Because he understood their history. That miraculous powers were given by God to his prophets. In order to verify their ministry as well as to verify their message. And so this Jesus is now a prophet in this man's mind. And then later on, he identifies Jesus as the Messiah. In verse 22, the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So you're threatening to put me out of the synagogue, so he must be Christ. He must be the Messiah. Or you wouldn't, have be, you wouldn't be so violently opposed to him. And then later on, he recognizes Jesus as a notable rabbi in verse 27. You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? He recognized Jesus as one of the rabbis and was questioning the Pharisees if indeed they wanted to become a disciple of Jesus, which just infuriated them all the more. Then later on, he boldly stated that Jesus was sent from God. Verse 38. And he said, Lord, I believed. Excuse me. He boldly stated that Jesus was from God in verse 33. He said, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And that harkens, that echoes back to Nicodemus and his encounter with Jesus in John chapter 3. When Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, the first thing out of his mouth, he says, we know that you're a man who's come from God. No one can do the things that you do unless God has sent him. And so this poor blind man has made the same assessment of Jesus. He is a man who is sent from God. That's why he could touch and heal me. And then in verse 38, his eyes were fully opened to who Jesus was and he recognized him as Lord and as God. Verse 38, he said, Lord, I believed, I believe, and he worshipped him. He understood that Jesus was not just a man, not just a prophet, not just a notable Rabbi, not just a person sent from God. He is God. And he worshipped him as God. Faith, if genuine, will develop in a Christian to the point of spiritual maturity. Genuine faith in a true Christian 
will always move that person on to spiritual maturity. That's the promise of God. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it, bring it to maturity, until the day of Jesus Christ. According to the Apostle Paul, that's the ultimate goal in a Christian's life, that they will mature spiritually to the point where they reflect the image of Jesus. They will be conformed to the image of Christ. Spiritual maturity is our goal in life. And faith, if it is genuine in your life, will move you on to that spiritual maturity. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, the apostle writes, Leaving the elementary, the basic, the fundamental teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Moving on to spiritual maturity. Jesus can and does heal the physically blind. But the greater miracle is healing those who may not necessarily be physically blind, but all of us who are spiritually blind. To see him not as just a, a great teacher, not just a man of history, not just a controversial figure in the New Testament times, but Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Son of God, Jesus the Messiah of God's people, Jesus the Lord and the Savior. Open our eyes to see Him, who He truly is. Whenever Jesus touches a life, People are going to notice that. Family members are going to notice that. Friends are going to notice that. Employers and employees are going to notice that. Schoolmates are going to notice that. He always raises questions and controversy in a person's life, which gives us the opportunity then, the open door to talk to people about who Jesus really is. Folks may not always appreciate our witness of the Lord. They may oppose us and they may even seek to hurt us. But Jesus will never leave us and he will never forsake us. We will never be alone in our work and in our witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. His desire that our faith in him will develop into full spiritual maturity. But dear friends, without Jesus and without spiritual maturity, we will all be like Scar in The Lion King. We will forever begrudge the fact that life just isn't fair. Life isn't fair. Well, dear friends, we shouldn't expect it to be. When we truly understand that sin has thrown God's creation out of sync 
with his original and ultimate plan, then we can say, yeah, that's the result. There is no equity among people. But it doesn't have to stay that way in your life, and it doesn't have to stay that way in my life. And it doesn't have to stay that way in anyone's life. Jesus can and will use our obstacles and our afflictions to bring honor and glory to the Lord God by healing our lives. Remember my friend Jerry, who was born with no arms and no legs and had to be assisted physically in practically every area of his life? Well, he graduated high school. He graduated college, and for many years he served as a preacher on the ministry team at Cal Baptist and served in the local church as a faithful Christian servant of God. Remember my brother Roger, Bill, who was born with Down syndrome, whom doctors said would never be productive would never achieve a mental capacity beyond age five and would most likely die before age 20. As a young teenager, Bill came to understand his need for Jesus Christ. And he fell in love with Jesus. And he committed his life to Jesus. And even though he was deathly afraid of water, he willingly submitted to baptism because he knew that's what Jesus wanted him to do. And after that, you couldn't talk to Bill without him talking to you about Jesus. And you could talk to him about the weather. And you could talk to him about the ranch. We lived on a ranch in Arkansas. You could talk to him about what was going on in the ranch. You could talk to him about dad or mom or brothers or sister. You could talk to him about anything and everything. But eventually he was going to talk to you about Jesus. Later on in his teenage years, he was in a movie with Burt Lancaster and Judy Garland. And he even had a couple of speaking parts in that movie. A Child is Waiting is the name of that movie. Roger continued to be a blessing to our family and to everyone who met him until he died at age 56. Life's not fair? Well, that may be a given for some folks. It doesn't have to be for you. It doesn't have to be for anyone who comes to know Jesus Christ. Because that's why God sent His Son. He sent His Son to make our life something special. Something worth living. If we will simply believe in and receive Him as our personal Lord and Savior. Stand with me in prayer.
After a prayer, we're going to sing a song of benediction. Pray that God's blessings will be upon you as we approach this new week. Father, thank you that no matter what can be wrong with us, Jesus can make it right if we trust him. No matter how unfair life may seem, Jesus can make life worth living if we'll only trust him. No matter what our circumstances and our situations may present to us, we can take those situations and those circumstances and we can use them to our benefit if we simply trust in Jesus and let him lead us through those situations and circumstances. And Father, I, I thank you that many people have experienced the power of your divine healing in their lives. But above all of that, I thank you, Father, that the spiritual power to open our eyes to see who Jesus really is is the greatest miracle of all. And I thank you, Lord, that all of us who name the name of Jesus Christ have received that healing. And I would ask, Lord God, that we would simply do as this man and tell other people about Jesus, who's able to open their eyes to the truth of who he is and how he can transform their lives into something powerful, into something that is glorious into something that will extend the kingdom of God here in the earth. And we will do that with the opportunities that you give us to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ, I ask. Amen. David, lead us in a song, please. people said Amen. have a blessed day and a blessed the bible says if you confess with your mouth the lord jesus and believe in your heart that god has raised him from the dead you will be saved if you've never trusted in jesus christ as your personal lord and savior we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith give your life to him if you're not attending a church that honors the bible as the word of god we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live the message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.